I will sequel franchise spin-off! Putain de connard d'enculé de ta mère, allez, putain We should go. It's the Popcorn Digest with Gareth and Andy! Hello and welcome to Popcorn Digest, the podcast about the films you love and some you don't. I'm your host, Agent Green, and joining me as always is full-time co-host and part-time program, Agent Raphael. Whoa, I'm a program. And for our latest episode, we're plugging into The Matrix Resurrections, a sequel that bears more in common with Gremlins 2 than it does any other film in the Matrix series. But is this a worthwhile meta take on the blockbuster legacy sequel? Or does this meta idea take us up inside its own arsehole? Single is the truth. <laughs> we can't see it. But we're all trapped inside these strange repeating loops. Billions of people just living out their lives. Oblivious. But this is the moment for you to show us what is real. Hey you! Remember those Matrix sequels that were universally hated? Well, how about another one? And remember the few things that you loved about those films? Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Somehow, The Matrix has returned. And it has brought a whole host of fan-favorite characters with it. Such as Neo, but sad. Trinity, but sad also. Agent Smith, but sexy and gay. Morpheus, but I I, I don't know what's going on. And Niobe, (laughs) but wearing a wig and please don't hit me, Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) So, somehow The Matrix has returned, Andy, and you have now finally seen it. Yep. What did you think? It's, it's, oh God. Um... (laughs) The end. Uh, <laughs> roll, credits. roll credits. Join us next time. <laughs> oh, it's 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 a weird one because would you call it an odd duck? Yeah, definitely, definitely an odd duck. I mean, there's, there's things about it that that didn't work for me at all, and a lot of those things were on a on a technical level. Yeah, but some of it did work for me, where I felt like there was a bit more focus and restraint than the than the the prior sequels i think i know where yeah where, where you're coming from with that just from like a basic storytelling screenplay use of characters level yeah because i remember we talked about that a lot when we discussed the the other two sequels mm-hmm. especially how they handled neo yeah because of where they put him at the end of the first film yes yeah. and them struggling so there were things about that but yeah just a really um odd duck of a film it kind of gave me the sense that it was a creator of a property deliberately sabotaging their own work to ensure that no one else picked it up. Oh, it 100% feels that way. I think that is even enforced by um, Lana Wachowski coming out just prior to the film being released. And in the uh, premiere, yeah. she was asked, um, would you make another one? Is this a set for a trilogy? And she was like, oh, God, no. This, yeah. is, this is it. This, yeah, and yeah. it feels, it does feel like it's a not just closing of the book. It feels like it's stamping it closed. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's a strange one because we're about a year removed from the film coming out. Yes. Considering what I've read about and the reception and the box office, which we'll go into much, much later. Yeah. I kind of felt like the reaction to it maybe was a little bit on the harsh side. Yeah. 
considering what you know the kind of shit we get these days yeah, yeah anyway but at the same time because of how it angles itself it's constantly showing you the other thing mm-hmm. that we had previously and, yes, and comparing yeah. it to what we have now and it's almost like a comment on on almost like it's like a deliberate co- comment on cinema yes as to where we are now even the, like down to how they made it so yeah, it's it, it's one of those films that I kind of would consider is quite an interesting film in regards to how it examines itself and how yeah and and how it sabotages itself in some way. It's it's yeah, it's it, a real odd one. It, it really is. is. It is. I mean, you know what? To be honest, going into this episode, we've been speaking beforehand. Yeah. And uh, this is actually the first episode in like five years that we're doing face to face. Yeah, we're holding hands right now. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> and. Um, and we were speaking beforehand, and I said to you, I thought we were going to be like diametrically opposed when it came to this film, mm. just in terms of gut reaction. But it seems like we're actually on a very similar wavelength <laughs> once yeah. more, yeah. Uh, because I'm, I'm definitely of the same opinion. However, I did watch this film when it first came out. I know that you mentioned you haven't. I watched it the first day it came out. Did I go cinema? Did a fuck? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that was part of the issue with this yeah, one is yeah. nobody went. But I did find it, the initial viewing of it, although I was positive towards it, I did find it quite jarring in relation to the previous films as I had just gone through like a rewatch and then watched The Matrix Resurrections. And it's, for all intents and purposes, a completely different film stylistically in terms of the writing, where the characters are, what it does with those characters. I've actually gone on to watch it for this episode. I, I... I'd already watched it this year. I'd watched it like the first week in January. So I watched it again for the episode. And this is actually like the fourth time I've seen it. Yeah. And it's weird. I had many of the same complaints that you just mentioned, just in terms of like the technical side of things. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of like faded away for me. And it's just become far more interesting in terms of the depth and what it's saying, like in terms of its comments on cinema, what it's saying about... The, the like it feels like especially in this day and age where what's happening we look at what's happening with warner brothers now the yeah, very yeah. studio that made the film and it feels like it's um like the end of an era but also a portent of things to come mm. <laughs> the whole comment on the legacy sequel feels like it's absolutely pointed towards star wars and what's happening there what's happening at disney what's happening with marvel it's weird that this film came out the same weekend, or at least this, it, it was on at the same time as Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should mention, before we get into the film, we do have experience with the Matrix films in the past, and we normally ask a question like, what kind of background do you have with the series? Is this something you've seen before? But we've already covered the sequels on a previous episode. Yeah. So, th- so this is a sequel. This, yeah, so this, <laughs> is a, this is a legacy sequel. Yeah, related sequel. We, yeah, we def- I think we recorded that about five years ago. And it's so. actually it's actually going to be a meta take on late podcast sequels. Yeah. This episode. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but yeah, so we've we've been through all that. We we are very familiar with the Matrix films, but yeah, this is really your first time watching this, and you're going at it like first time, first reaction. Really, it wasn't the disaster I was led to believe it it was, because it it, it got a really harsh write up when yeah. it, when it came out. I mean, even outside of its actual critics review, in terms of like youtube reviewers yes yeah i would it, agree it, it, people who just ripped at a new asshole sort of thing and for some of the very same reasons it was critiquing it's one of those films that maybe has its cake and eats it sort of thing but i kind of feel it goes further than that to the point where it's almost like 
at times, like the first half of the film especially felt like a parody of meta films. Yeah. Like it got it got so meta yeah. that it was almost like taking the piss out of meta. Like it was just going the extra mile to sort of yeah. take the piss out of that trend. I, I look at that whole section of the film and specifically everything to do with Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how that got made. I know. It's like it's it's because <laughs> you know, if you read up about the the background of the film, it's like it's all there. Yeah. Like it's bizarre that that got passed. The only thing I can think of is this is the last film that got released as part of that 30-day yes, simultaneous yeah. release. Uh, and I'm wondering why it's the last one and why they decided to yeah. leave it as the last <laughs> one. Because I'm wondering whether Warner Brothers were a little bit uneasy about that. Because I felt like the film was very much unpromoted. It was. like They started initially promoting it quite hard. And yeah. It was getting the views. Yeah. And then prior to release, it just dropped off. They just stopped promoting it pretty much entirely and let it just... It just happened out there, kind of thing. Yeah, it didn't, yeah. There wasn't any fanfare, really, for no. its release. I know it was a weird time anyway, and people were navigating these choppy waters of pandemic film releases. But, yeah, even in that regard, it still feels like it was left in the in rough seas kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a strange one for me, because I, I kind of... On finishing it, I'm, I was thinking, is this perhaps the second best Matrix sequel? I'm I'm much more apologetic towards the Matrix sequels than you are. I, even though the episode, I think I did come down on a negative side. I, I've always come back around to the Matrix sequels, and I have done in a big way. But I, I still think this is probably the second best. The commentary is just far more rewarding. And I think it's one of those ones that it dwells on you more. It sits with you. Yeah, and I just think those are the films, they, they do have their virtues. And I do, you know, I do like some of the filmmaking. I think that for me is one of the biggest flaws of this film is yeah. that it constantly gives you like it's almost like a, like a clip show at times. It, yeah, where it shows you what the other films were like and cuts back to the. I'm not sure whether it's even like a comment. Yeah, on that kind of thing where it's like it's so it's done so much. Mm-hmm. It's like Lana's doing it on purpose to say, yeah, this is the state we're in because mm-hmm. it being shot on digital. There were parts of it that looked quite good, and then there were other parts of it that looked like they were shot on an iPhone. There's something about, I'm not sure whether it's certain kind of cameras or the way that are used, but in how digital cameras capture motion, yeah, there's something still not quite right about it when you compare it to what film cameras do, which have been engineered over decades, and yes, they have it yeah. down to a T, and those standards were put in place because they worked. And when you're constantly cutting between clips of the previous films which were shot on film and then going back, it's very jarring. Yeah, it is. But yeah, I feel like sure. it's done deliberately so <laughs> to sort yeah. of highlight the difference. The thing is about the digital look is I do think it is a jarring contrast to the previous Matrix films. And I do think in terms of visual identity, the previous Matrix films have this one pit by quite a margin. Yeah, yeah. But... I do appreciate that this one is like to the point of them not repeating themselves. It has a brand new identity. It's I watched it in 4K the last couple of times I saw it, and it looks good in 4K. It looks mm. it's like a demo reel when it's at its best. I agree with you again, like because I think when we get into where my complaints are for the film, we are going to get into the same things, which are really like in terms of the action, in terms of some of the practical aspects of filmmaking where it suffers yeah uh, or it doesn't really reinvent itself enough 
in a way. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I do I do agree with you on that front as well, specifically as well in terms of the, that contrast between digital filmmaking and the previous film on film like footage it is jarring to have that and it's it's not just once or twice at the beginning it's throughout and it feels like it's at every moment there's some sort of like strong character interaction between legacy characters you get a flash of something it's like hey remember do you remember do you remember yeah and it feels like it's saying something on that level but yeah, and before we really like start to deconstruct the film, <laughs> just yeah. like it's deconstructed the series, I guess we should get into some um, some background for this film. And I mean, I will say, as somebody who had been a fan of The Matrix, I thought that this was going to get made a lot sooner than it did. Yeah. I think I was talking to you like way back in the day, like, oh, by 2015, there'll be a Matrix sequel. I know it. <laughs> I know it. They'll, they'll get the whole gang back together and it'll be some new trilogy with... And then when Star Wars happened, I was like, yep, yeah, it's definitely happening. It's definitely <laughs> happening. And it took until 2021 for this to come out. And it seems like it wasn't something that was just like on the back burner for Warner Brothers. It was something they were actively pursuing, but it just for one reason or another didn't come together. And I guess one iteration, one of the most famous iterations that didn't get made was with the uh, screenwriter Zach Penn, who's known for such classic superhero films as... X-Men The Last Stand, oh. The Incredible Hulk. He did write the story for The Avengers, but then he also did go on and write the screenplay for Ready Player One and Free Guy. Mm. That's where we're at with that. He also... Oh, right. No, sorry. He was credited on a Jack Slater. <laughs> I guess he was one of the many writers that was involved. Oh, he was. He was like the original writer of Last Action Hero. Yeah. So, yeah. So, he's credited with Jack Slater creating that character, which... <laughs> Feels akin with this one, with this film in some way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was involved in the screenwriting process. They were making a Morpheus prequel or Morpheus sequel. They didn't know what at that time. <laughs> we still don't know what it was. <laughs> but it's a. Um, it was going to star Michael B. Jordan, and it was either going to be about the early days of Morpheus, which who cares? Yeah. Or it was going to be about the, a descendant of Morpheus in the Matrix world and etc 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 as i say starring michael b jordan that didn't come together um it was like he did mention that there were two projects in development at the same time two matrix projects and it was his morpheus project and then there was also the film that was being worked on separately with lana wachowski yeah and in the end warner brothers chose in a stunning move (laughs) like (laughs) such a strange move they chose the one that was most critical of warner brothers yeah and that whole process in fact it even this film even has comments on that whole background yeah. with the film yeah and it, it, even like with lana and lily lily's not back in this one because um she just did not want to revisit the matrix films i think she kind of cashed out at jupiter ascending when it came to working with studios anymore yeah yeah and i think that's a weird thing as well because the matrix resurrections is the kind of film you make when you're cashing in your chips when it's like okay, if you're going to give me a blank check to do whatever I want, I'm going to do do something fucking crazy. Yeah. However, really, Lana's coming off the back of Jupiter Ascending, <laughs> which yeah. is a huge failure of a film. Yeah. Like, it was a critical failure. It failed at the box office. And yet, she still had the clout, really, to come back at this and be like, demanding full free reign, blank check. And I'm surprised she got it. I'm fair play to her, but I'm surprised yeah, yeah. that she was ever given that opportunity. It's doubly weird that the film was greenlit at all 
if the studio had bothered to read the screenplay. <laughs> I'm wondering if they actually did or whether Lana gave them a fake screenplay. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It could be. It could be, yeah. Because yeah. it's a very snarky film when it comes to talking about anything to do with studio machinations and... Focus grouping and... Oh, God, yeah. Films made by committee. Yeah. I love that that whole segment, Neo is in the Lana Wachowski role and he doesn't say a single thing or at any point is ever asked what his opinion is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like as a whole five-minute sequel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as the original yeah. creator, nobody says, what does the Matrix mean to you? Yeah. It's all about what it means to them, and it's never anything more than bullet time and cats, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, also, as well, this is a film that's born out of grief. Yes. As well, which is also a reason for the split uh, of the Wachowskis. So both of the Wachowskis' parents died very close to each other. Uh, I think in 2019. Yeah. I think they were both kind of done with the series anyway, which is why we didn't get that yeah. 2015 like rumblings of any kind of sequel. But yeah, that was the reason why why Lily didn't want to get involved anyway. But also it was that it was the same reason as to why Lana wanted to revisit the series because it was the, the case of like, if I can't keep my parents alive, I have these two other characters who are very important within my life that I can keep alive yeah. and, and resurrect as such. So that was the impetus of it. And I imagine that combination of the studio pushing and then that opportunity to like literally resurrect the characters yeah. resulted in this film, which the whole production of it is just bonkers. And, and even in the production, when they had to halt the production due to the, the pandemic, there's that whole thing where she was like, should I just leave it? Yeah. There's this great unfinished production. And obviously she was persuaded to finish it, but it was one of those things like, should I just do that? Like, we started the film, but because of circumstances. Yeah, it feels like a grand experiment. Yeah, that's why I feel like a lot of the things that people seem to complain about, they're all deliberate. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's nothing unintentional about anything that she's doing. I really like the Wachowskis. I don't think they are infallible as filmmakers. No, And I think that there are certain films and there are even... The good films that I like have some certain flaws to them as well, but I find them to be very interesting filmmakers. Yeah. Everything yeah. They, they make seems to be imbued with heart and thought, you yeah. know, and this certainly is that. However, I will say, like, this is a hard film to recommend to people because of yeah. this. Yeah. Um, because it very much depends on the baggage that you're bringing with you as well. <laughs> I mean, even like, there's nothing wrong with that if you're the type of person that kind of likes the, the what they did with Star Wars and likes this kind of like, um, this the whole Marvel superhero thing and everything like that. It's This film's very pointed at that kind of audience. Yeah. Um, I so mean, I can see why some people would take like some offense to that. Yeah. If you're a hardcore movie fan. Yes. Like, yeah. As opposed to, you know, it's not a film, it's a movie. Kind of <laughs> if you're hardcore, if you love that kind of thing, yeah. the big studio blockbuster churn them out thing, your Marvel fanboys who like more, 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 yeah, more stuff, yeah. more stuff. Or if you're a casual moviegoer, yeah. this film isn't really going to play well for you. No, no, yeah. It, it's that, it's for those people in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's for, yeah, and I completely understand why it would have pissed off a, a large proportion of not just casual fans, but like hardcore movie fans. Yeah. Because it's almost like commenting on the audience as well mm -hmm. who lap that kind of stuff up. Yeah. You know, the kind of people that complain about it, but then they still go. Of course, yeah, yeah. You know, 
Gareth. I know, I know, I, I, I know, I know you are. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did bring Spider-Man No Way Home to your house to watch later, if you so choose to. Yeah, which we'll watch, so we're complete hypocrites. But, um, <laughs> but it's only because you own it, I didn't buy it. You buy it through me. I- I'm seeing it for free. You, you do it through, through <laughs> osmosis. Therefore, I'm not fueling any... <laughs> I'm not feeling their business. <laughs> I know if I don't buy it, you don't see it. So. Yeah. <laughs> and who am I going to talk to about these oh. things? But yeah, it, it, it really straddles a very fine line. Yeah. And yeah, that's where the, the self-sabotage comes into it, because she would have known this. It's kind of like a, a, a big sort of fuck, fuck you, you to, yeah. the, to the studio, in a way, for leaning on them so much, and also for maybe not supporting them on some of their other projects. Yeah. It's kind of Lana having the last laugh. But at the same time, there's things in it that are just so much more focused and purposeful than anything in Reloaded or Revelations. Yeah. I think people do sometimes tend to look back on those films a little bit with rose-tinted spectacles. Mm-hmm. When we reviewed them, they had their moments, but especially Reloaded, I think we were much more favorable to Revolutions uh, yeah. for what it was actually trying to do, even though that had, you know, has huge flaws in it. But Reloaded is just a um, huge, vacuous, noisy waste of a film, really, which doesn't know how to i mean that those two films really don't know how to handle neo well i mean all. that's that's my greatest criticism is that like if you have even when you watch the films back to back and you judge them as being some four to five hour epic there's still a 40 minute period where neo's not in the film yeah i think Pretty i counted it as like 28 minutes or something yeah. like that <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's it's uh which is like considering he's such the focus i know it's more of an ensemble and yeah 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 but you can at least say about resurrections is that it's never not neil's journey no. or trinities for that matter even no. though she is has lesser screen time yeah and this is another criticism and uh, that a lot of people have pointed towards it that 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 structurally story-wise very similar to the first matrix mm-hmm Again, I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in the same way like Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah. But it's it's weird because, I mean, we hate to use that term because it's become something of a meme, even though I do think it has some value. But where it repeats itself, it at least does so in a subversive way. Yeah. And it does yeah. repeat itself a lot, but it feels like rather than being just as with The Force Awakens, it was just kind of like there was no commentary to that. It was just like, yeah, we are yeah. just repeating it because we know this is what people like and it's easy. Yeah. Uh, whereas with this one, it feels like it's very much the point. Like there's purpose behind it. That very, very Agent yeah. Smith purpose yeah. uh, behind that and commentary as mm. well. I think this is as well, like I have an issue with f- films and TV shows that get overly meta because it does take me out of it. It's a very, uh, Christopher Nolan says as well, like he doesn't like to show other films in his films doesn't like people to go to the cinema that's why batman you know young bruce wayne goes to watch a stage show rather than going to see i can't remember what it was something like the lone ranger or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. um as is per the comic he, he doesn't like to show cinema screens because he thinks it takes the audience out of the film because yeah. suddenly they're what look they're looking at a screen within a screen and i have the same issue with meta films is that there are films that do it like in universe, like Scream. That's fine. That's something completely different. I mean, films that are like about, for example, Red Dwarf Back to Earth, the TV show. Oh, God, yeah. It's, it's about yeah. the characters, you know, meeting the writer and that kind of thing. Or another thing that did it, another TV show, but as did it as a movie, The League of Gentlemen Apocalypse. I mean, League of Gentlemen at least 
tried as a new thing. Yeah. Red Dwarf gets no excuses because that, that came afterwards. So yeah. they get their hands wrapped for that because it's basically the fucking same thing as well. Like they literally did the same thing and completely missed the point of their own show in the same. Yeah. I mean, both of them did that. In trying to do that, they both missed the point of what made their show special. Yeah. And they kind of like disappear up their own backside. And even with Red Dwarf, it feels like it's just hitting this one note joke, which is, remember Blade Runner? Yeah, which is, which is, which is weird. The, the weirdest thing. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, it kind of found its feet again a little bit after that. Yes. Yeah. With Series 10. But yeah, that, that Back to Earth, you can just completely skip that. Really, uh, I would recommend want. it. Yeah. Um, but what this film does differently that I think makes everything else work is that despite all... like. One, it wouldn't work without the meta angle. It is intrinsic to the film's purpose, to the film's commentary, to the themes that are being explored. But two, despite all of that cynicism, it still comes across as being an incredibly earnest and heartfelt film when it comes to specifically dealing with the characters. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's clear that Lana has a lot of love for Neo and Trinity and has a lot invested in their journey. And um, when it actually deals with the character beats on like a personal level, that cynicism melts away. It's always there in terms of the world. The commentary is always there in terms of the world, in terms of the, like the character, the analyst, and things that you know Bugs is saying and Morpheus is exploring. Mm-hmm. But whenever it gets to that Neo and Trinity a relationship, and even the conversation between Neo and Niobe, that becomes background and the emotional core of the film, like comes to the forefront. Yeah, yeah. Like as an example. I love Gremlins too, but that is just fucking chaos. Yeah. That is yeah. just pure, unadulterated, untapped Joe Dante chaos. Yeah. And I feel like this film has that for a while. Yeah. Uh, but then it remembers that these it brings those characters and that kind of heart. And you can see why when you look at the, the background that you mentioned in terms of like it being informed by uh, the Wachowskis' parents passing away rather yeah. close to each other. She's hanging out with old friends and kind of like working a way to earn the happy ending that she thinks they probably deserved. <laughs> yeah, because there was always something a little bit unsatisfying about Revolutions. Not that this particularly satisfies it, but it no. kind of, yeah, it does kind of make a comment on that, that kind of thing in this particular situation can't be satisfied in a way. It's kind of things go on and, and get and get recycled yeah yes such, really yes yeah. even the people yeah <laughs> yeah that scene as well where they are um, shown to be worked on by the robots over the years as they're brought back to life and you see neil with his chest cavity open and yeah, robots yeah. crawling in and out of it it made me think on this particular watch i was like star wars doesn't have that <laughs> <laughs> star wars doesn't have a, a scene in which Mark Hamill's eye is being plucked out and looked at by a little tiny robot or you know, his brain is being worked on. It's like, you'd very rarely get these kind of like uh, franchises that show characters in this kind of way and with this kind of vulnerability with imagery that is genuinely upsetting <laughs> to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I quite I quite like that flash because it, um, it reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but you know the Animatrix TV series? Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah Not TV yeah. series, the oh, short the, films. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there was a great one in there that's about the history of the, the war with the machines. Yes. Yeah, I've seen that one. And that's probably the best the best yeah. one of the lot. Yeah. Um, and that felt like it was a purposeful nod towards that and towards the brutality of certain machines in this world as well. Yeah. 
so we have been speaking about like the very many positives about the background of this film and and the intent behind it but i guess it's fair of us to really like talk about some of the things as well that we found flaws in yeah and i mean where would you say that this film faltered for you andy i think for me you can tell that someone in the directing team is missing because i don't feel like the film is as well directed Mm -hmm. as the previous three I mean, especially the first one. I mean, I, the, the second two do have their have their issues on a on a directing level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like because she did all the second unit, there was no second unit. She did all the action sequences, yeah, herself. I'm not 100 percent sure that was the best idea because yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't bring James McTeague back. Yeah, because the action is a little bit lacking, and the editing and everything, and the and the staging is yeah. is very sloppy. At times, which I didn't, I don't think was an intentional thing. No, I don't think um, so either. I think it kind of highlighted maybe is that something is that is that Lily's area or yeah. is that getting the outside people in? Because yeah, the action didn't really hold up when you compare it to the other three films. In a way, it reminded me of Batman Begins. Yeah, the action in in terms of that, like this is a film much like Batman Begins that works for me despite its action. Yeah, because very, very strangely for this director feels like it's someone finding their footing in action. Yeah, yeah. Whereas previously, it's it's looked very much like they've had a very strong grasp on like action filmmaking and action blocking and you know where to move the camera. And this one feels a lot more haphazard. And I completely understand the point of coming into this film and saying everything that you think about the Matrix, we're going to do differently. Yeah. Like, if you want bullet time, ah, we're not really going to do that. And when you do see it, it's it's different. Yeah. And, oh, you, you want this kind of action. You want guns. Neo doesn't shoot a bullet in the whole film. No. In fact, he's almost like his his whole deal in this one is being able to deflect. He's, he's almost very passive in a way. In yeah, his yeah, voice. yeah. And it purposely doesn't repeat itself in many aspects, even though it feels like it's going to at some point. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes down to the action itself... I get the point of doing something new, but this doesn't feel as good nor clever enough of a divergence. No, no. Is it as enjoyable as the the previous films? No. Is it as like well blocked? No. Is it as interesting? Not really. <laughs> you no, know. No. I understand that maybe some like um, intent behind it saying, "Oh well, you know, action films these days." blah 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 but i don't think that's particularly true no <laughs> like i think we're in a period of time as well where action films have found a little bit of a footing again in terms of yeah. choreography and yeah even as a comment i think on the action in general it falls a little bit flat and i think that lana probably needed a helping hand to deal with the action i think someone like james mcteague who's tried his his, his hand at being a like a director didn't quite come together and he's gone back to second unit as well. I think he's done some TV stuff. I think he needed like that, that kind of hand to come back and kind of help along. Yeah. Cause for me, th- th- those two things, the action and the, the digital photography yeah. were the two sort of big negatives. Yeah. Which again, if you're a real matrix fan and you're, or you're a casual movie fan and, and you're coming in expecting that, then I can see why it would be yeah. disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. I had trouble like, recommending it to my brother because i know what he wants from a matrix film and what this isn't gonna give him <laughs> you no, know no. this is not going to provide on that level no. i think there's some great imagery in this film but it's not as viscerally kind of engaging no, no. As, um, as previous matrix films have been 
I think there was also there, there are issues with pacing and tone. Yeah, especially when you compare the front half with the back half. Yes, yeah. There's quite a big difference. It, there are moments where it does feel a bit slow. Yeah, there's a fair bit of back and forth between IO and uh, I guess the Matrix, where the characters are in IO, they're out of IO, they're in IO, they're out of IO again. And yeah, it, it, it feels like there's a lot of like this could have been streamlined somehow. <laughs> yeah, and there's a couple of things which don't again when like, when Naivi imprisons neo and he spends all of like five <laughs> seconds in the prison before he's it was the roughest of... five seconds that he's ever had yeah that part of it didn't particularly work for me you never felt like there was any true intent there <laughs> you no. know they kind of just brushed past it very quickly yeah if they weren't making a big thing out of it and there was a time jump or something yeah you could have just lost that bit to be honest <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so, and also like it, you know it is the longest of of the matrix films Oh, it is, yeah. So there is a little bit of fat, I think, that which could have been mm-hmm. chopped out. But then again, it, there's a couple of things where it does rush through. Like the whole Niobe backstory with the machines turning on themselves for power. Oh, that's maybe something that could have been yeah. explored in the Matrix as well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there are um, rebellious programs. Maybe there's riots and things like that within yeah. the Matrix. And, and even what happens to Trinity at the end is a very... Um, a bit wishy-washy. Abbreviated, yeah. yeah. It's one of those characters where she's talked about an awful lot, but she doesn't have a ton of screen time and she, she has very little screen time as trinity herself yeah yeah so there's things like that which definitely are flaws i would say but then there's things in the film where they maybe did this much better than the previous two sequels and i really want to compare the architect with the analyst yeah because i feel like the analyst is a much 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 better character and utilized much better Mm-hmm. than the architect was because that architect scene is i mean it's been parodied oh yeah so many yeah. times now but i feel like how they use the analyst and also his motivation and everything is so much more interesting yeah for than... sure than just being i'm colonel sanders the man who created <laughs> the matrix after i'd finished my chicken <laughs> with all famous 11 herbs and spices <laughs> perhaps a zinga tower mr <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mr. Anderson, Anderson. <laughs> but yeah I do <laughs> I do like Neil Patrick Harris yeah. in this film he does do something that makes me laugh though which is anytime he says the word Thomas he sounds like he's in a Tom and Jerry cartoon Thomas like, Thomas <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it always makes me think of that but um, yeah I, I, I like him as a character I like everything even his room is uh, like his his therapy room is far more interesting to look at. Is far more detailed than the architect's kind of like yeah bank of um, of television screens. Like I like that there's a um, like a, a captured butterfly in the background, like a cage butterfly. It's like this is where Neil was at, and his wallpaper is like a maze itself as well. Yeah, and, uh, it's all these little little nods towards where Neo is in his journey. And yeah, I, I really quite like that character um a lot and again that's also part of the reason why that succeeds is probably why the film failed with its audiences for me yeah, uh, it's yeah. because it's completely different towards anything that the previous matrix films have done in terms of an antagonistic force we've never seen that in this way and with this kind of like personality even on the level in terms of like the way that it deals with agent smith with um Oh, what's his name? Jonathan Groff. Yeah. Yeah, even yeah. the way that it deals with him. He's definitely very fabulous in this film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that is somebody they did try and get 
um, oh, what's his name now? Hugo Weaving. They did try and yeah. get Hugh, yeah. Hugo Weaving back for this film, but unfortunately, he was already signed on to something else, and then it got delayed due to COVID anyway, and he could have done it, but yeah. they mm. were already shooting with Jonathan Groff. Yeah. And I, I do think perhaps they would have had those scenes would have had more weight with yeah it's, it is a shame i think that yeah that wasn't that didn't happen because there's nothing against jonathan groff in this film i like jonathan groff and i think yeah, he's yeah. fine but he doesn't quite have the screen presence that hugo weaving has in this role and i think if that's where they were going with the character as well hugo weaving could have had a lot of fun playing it that way yeah i feel like there's a little bit of a, a, a given what happens in revolutions there's a bit of a disconnect there yeah, I get the reasoning, but I think yeah, it would have worked better if we'd had like an older, maybe bearded Hugo Weaving, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like as his boss, and and then you have that kind of thing because it's all about recite. I mean, the other thing as well is the um, the Morpheus character, yes, as yeah. well, which is kind of weird. At the same time, I quite like. I think he's only called Morpheus, yeah, as a way because this is what the films do. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they kind of bring back these characters, repurpose these characters, they give yeah. them a fresh lick of paint. Maybe another actor plays them. He's only Morpheus in name only. He's a program really that's been made up of yeah. character traits from Morpheus, yeah. and Agent Smith. I like that character, and I like how I I love some of the ideas of how they've sort of moved on in the world where. You've got programs interacting in the physical space. Yes, yeah. Uh, I really like that idea. And I like the fact that there are some friendly machines and even things like when they were doing the fruit with regrowing fruit based on the code. Yeah. Which I found quite interesting. I love that whole idea. That's something, again, I wish I wish the film had perhaps explored a little bit more of. Yeah, because um, the thing is, the, there are parts of the film that do feel a, a little bit cheap when you can... Obviously, the digital photography doesn't help, but the city of Io feels like it's like three sets mm-hmm. with about ten people. One of them with a Funko Pop statue of Morpheus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like Lawrence Fishburne at all, does it? No. <laughs> it does. It does definitely feel like a Funko Pop version of yeah, it's like giant eyes. Hollywood Waxworks Museum uh, <laughs> version, but I mean, not that I completely love those scenes in those films, but the the Zion sequences in the previous two Matrix film felt big. Yes, like you felt yeah, like yeah. there was a lot of people in that city, mm-hmm. uh, all raving, of course. Yeah, raving you know, mad. That's aged so poorly. <laughs> um, <laughs> that scene, but with Io, it felt very small. Yeah, like yeah, it didn't feel like a real breathing city, which I thought was a shame considering how big it looks. You you barely get any kind of feeling yeah. that there's a big city there. No, and no, it's, and it's you don't really populated. That's it. There's no crowd. There are no crowds, and I'm, I kind of get why with what happened, like with the pandemic. Yeah, and that kind yeah. of thing. Maybe there had been something there, but there are no crowds. And it doesn't feel like it is populated beyond the characters that are involved in the film itself. There yeah. are no extras kind of milling about. It does feel like a very underpopulated yeah. location. <laughs> no, he's like, I created this city and no fucker lives in it. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like her retirement home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what do you think about Jada Pinkett Smith in this film? Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's a bit of a weird character to bring back because... She wasn't a particularly amazing character in the previous sequels. So, yeah, it's a bit weird why why they would bring that particular character back. 
over some of the other ones. I think the reason as well that they couldn't bring Lawrence Fishburne back in any way, shape, or form, even though he would be quite a bit older. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. You could always excuse that he's been in some sort of cryo sleep or something silly like that. But in the Matrix Online video game that came out after mm. the uh, series, Morpheus dies in universe in the video game. Right. Okay. And they wanted to keep that. And it, because they always said that that video game would, was canon. Yeah. I never played it. It was like an online game. They wanted to keep it true that that game remains canon, but for anybody that hasn't played it, it doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but they, that's one of the reasons that I think that they didn't bring Lawrence Fishburne back in the role as well. It is a shame, though, because I feel like if you'd supplanted that character as Morpheus, it probably would have had way more weight to it. Yeah. Maybe if they had done the um, commentary on de aged. Like uh, they had a de-aged Lawrence Fishburne in the role, <laughs> CGI de-aging, yeah, and made yeah. it more of a commentary on that with that Morpheus character. <laughs> yeah, although it, it would have been nice to have actually had him old because it would have been like, oh yeah, I see they, what you, mean, you yeah. know, I'm trying to think the last time they even see each other in the in the in the third film it was quite early on. Yeah, so it would have been some time. It would have been quite poignant, I think, if that you know he'd seen him, and then also the fact that Neo's not aged that much, whereas he's got much older there would have been definitely some weight behind it yeah a little bit more weight than there is yeah the, the one thing i do like though about the niobe scene is kind of like it's all a bit sad there's a certain melancholy to the film as well yeah yeah and it's all a bit i guess that's also why people didn't quite respond to it is it's a much more thoughtful film in that way it's it's far yeah. sadder it, the well, characters it, are on a in a much more depressing state. There's yeah. a lot about suicide in the film as well. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of playing into that belated sequel thing that's kind of really saying this is after the party. Yes, Sort of yeah. thing. It's a much more complex situation now than it's just good versus evil, humans versus machines. It's a bit more grey. And Neil really doesn't have a place in the real world. He returns back and he's like, they're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. you're gonna ruin everything yeah it's not what you expect you expect this kind of like triumphant return neo yeah exactly yeah like, like, the, the stupid mouse, kid in the, yeah <laughs> i read all your comics neo <laughs> and your biggest fan and uh, but there's none of that there is absolutely none of that and instead it's just like ah uh, yeah you know like uh what have i been doing in the last 20 years well Loads of people died, um, yeah. <laughs> and um, and and yeah, we got old. Yeah, there's a lot less fanfare to his return, which again, it's a bit of a subversion, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, you do have the Neo fan club. I mean, yes, which that's is true. Like, yeah, you know, Bugs and the team, but yeah, they're not well liked within the city. No, <laughs> sort no. <of> thing. <laughs> so yeah, they're kind of out on a limb. I tell you one thing, I really did like as like a new thing within the interaction between the world i love that the operator was in the scene yes like, yeah i was thought that was quite cool it was just a nice visual not just uh, an editor it was like he was literally in the yeah he could scene, patch, himself, patch in. himself in yeah i did like some of the new ideas and that yeah like the the physical manifestation of the programs and the good machines and even the the look that they've given neo and trinity when they're in the real world, like they'd really come to town on the fucking like massive fucking plug in the back of their neck. Yes, like, yeah, you're here for the duration. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like that kind of thing where they'd really like over-engineered their plugs. Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, they'd be permanently there. I mean, that's the other thing I really liked about the the analyst character in comparison to say the architect, because the architect and those other the other characters that are in the sequels, they're also stoic, yeah, and serious. There's no. You know, Smith is the only real one that's kind of playful yeah. in and, any and, way. 
and the Merv. The Merovingian. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, he's a different thing entirely. Yeah, in a way. That is. But he's kind of one of those those kind of characters that really is like a one scene. And yeah, out yeah, that's it. You it's can't just... really have him. No, no, no. Wouldn't really yeah. work in that way. But in terms of the, um, the analyst, I, lo- I love that basically he's just a businessman. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is just a business opportunity. And he's for working him. for the suits. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Which, yeah. Couldn't get any more on the But nose. it's the fact that he had, he saw the power of neo and trinity and gone oh this is solving our energy crisis (laughs) (laughs) so let's rebuild them do this thing have them keep them apart this is fueling our power yeah that's the only reason they're there and that they're sort of been hidden from each other and i really like that idea that it's just a a business venture for him to keep this world alive with less people in it yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah. I, oh, I I love the bots actually as well. I thought that was a great idea. The scene of where they have the kamikaze bots just They're jumping out great. windows. That was great. <laughs> I, I like that, that little moment though, where one of them is with his wife. Yeah, and it's just the scream out of her. It was very. Um, they live. Yes, it was. Respect. Yeah, it was like Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the the parts of the action that works for me. I think the. The action sequence that worked the most is the chase through the city is that part because I feel yeah. like it has a couple of different elements to it. I did actually write, given some of the tonal and pacing issues, last act is pretty good. I did like the whole Trinity heist. Yes, yeah. Like the whole third act was pretty solid. It does take on the more like, uh, it's more of a heist film. Yeah. <laughs> for, for that. Yeah. I like the whole like plugging in, plugging out as well. Like two people inhabiting the same body within the Matrix for, yeah. for a moment. Yeah, there was some cool, th- <laughs> there was some cool things uh, in the showdown in Simulate. Um, <laughs> I think for me, like the second half maybe worked. I mean, the last act worked really well for me. Yeah. In that respect. I really enjoyed this film. And I think that the, uh, the first act is very solid, and the last act is really solid. But there's like there's a bit in the middle. Yeah. There's, there's a and, and I would say it's it's more like there's a there's just a little bit of flab kind of yeah. thing, you know, in in the middle. And there's there's perhaps some time that you could have given up there to focus on other things elsewhere in the film. I personally have come round to responding in this film in a big way. I really really quite like it on a personal level. But if I approach it like more objectively, that middle section is where like you could probably start to refocus some ideas, streamline some certain actions, and maybe provide a few extra minutes here and there where they'll be put to better use. Yeah. I also like talking about Trinity, um, one of the little Easter eggs that's involved. I like that, one, her husband in The Matrix is called Chad. <laughs> also, that it's the director of for Keanu Reeves from John Wick. Yeah. Also, that it's Keanu Reeves' previous body double. Yeah. A stunt double for the previous Matrix films. That 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 feels right. <laughs> yeah. I also like the fact that Neo's reflection is uh, Carrie Ann Moss's husband. Is is it? Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. That's so they, new they, to me. Yeah. So that's how they they sort of do the other side of that as well. There's tons of things to to like about the film, and again, there's tons to to not like if you're that way inclined. That's it's a real like it's very much a Marmite film. Yes. I yeah. Hundred percent. I think it, it's one of those films that maybe was a little bit misunderstood. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, it's definitely for me. Definitely, it's got you know technical flaws i would have much rather it being been shot on film i agree yeah and i'm still not quite sure about the whole flashing back to previous imagery. yeah, yeah it, i agree it, it does jar i'm not sure that it's intended to jar like we say some of it does seem intentional mm-hmm. but it, it does take you out 
of the film quite a lot. Yeah. And, and does highlight the deficiencies. There's a point where you could have cut that off after the first act. Like, maybe if you were going to have that yeah. once or twice, like Agent Smith at the window, oblivious. Yeah. Maybe, like, setting up the initial characters, like, oh, this is who this is, that's who that is, this is where the characters all remember that, and then moving past it. But it does it all the way through yeah. to the very end. Yeah, you, you definitely could have done less of that, because it was effective in its first couple of appearances, but then it got a, it got a bit old yeah. quite quickly. I would have taken some of that stuff out because it did feel a little bit like a clip show. Yes, <laughs> at yeah. times. You probably could have taken the runtime down by about five minutes. <laughs> some of that stuff out. Yeah, yeah. On, on a on a technical level, it, it, for me, it's like heavily flawed, uh, and I'm not sure there is some sort of it, like intentional part. You of don't that. know where to draw that line, do you? Because yeah. I I I have that issue even with when it comes to the technical flaws. I'm like, where do I draw the line? Where does this stop being commentary and just start being a flaw? When does it cross that line? Yeah, because there are parts of it that look really good, and I do like the like the. I think the the parts that look the best are um, in the real world. I in agree. The machine space it looks when am- they're in the incubators and stuff like that. That looks really nice. It looks amazing in four K. Some of it looks really cheap, like TV movie cheap. <laughs> yeah, which is bizarre, and and really just show like how we're still not quite there yet. With, no, with I mean. It may be, I don't know what cameras are used for this. Even when it comes to films where digital photography has been well implemented. Yeah. Um, and we look at films like um, like June. Like Greg Frazier seems to be able to use digital photography. Yeah, Greg Frazier, really Roger, well. Deakins. Roger Deakins also. Yeah. Um, but even then, those films have to oftentimes have to go through a film pass in order to. Well, to yeah, get June. The, June. Yeah, June did. June's technically shot on film. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it as well is like. We don't realize it, but grain structure is huge for certain types of films. Motion is as well, like in terms of the way characters move, but like the grain structure of certain films, you can't just like many films on filmmakers do these days, which is just give it a digital film grain pass. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. Transplanting it to sound, it's like a little bit of tape hiss or like dithering. It's kind of like glue. Yeah. Uh, And it glues the frame together. There's a color depth as well that's not quite there yet mm. as well yeah and, and and again there's some cameras that do that better than others and again, yes for sure how you use it so it could be because it's not the same um cinematographer though it's not bill pope yeah who's very very experienced cinematographer yes um you know still works with edgar wright but he had some issues with the Wachowskis on the sequels on the yeah. previous one, so I don't think he would be no. coming back even no. with one of the best circumstances. Yeah, because I did read one review that described it as very as being a very ugly looking film, which I can kind of argue saying, yeah, mate, it's not it's not the best shot film of all time. So one of the uh, cinematographers is Danielle Massachese, uh, but when you look at her background, she's more of a steadicam operator. Right, this seems to be like one of the first major films of her career right okay. she has worked with them from jupiter ascending and does seem to work with ridley scott quite significantly right another yeah. one is john toll and i think he's he's the more experienced hand so yeah so he has a background in the likes of braveheart the last samurai that kind of thing yeah so yeah. but i i imagine this has been a something of like bringing daniel Massachusetts into the the forefront kind of thing i think one of the things that she wanted to do with this film was um diversify her crew yeah and bring some more some new fresh talent into the industry yeah i will say another thing though that i do really appreciate about this film and i did expect it actually to go the other way was that its stakes are far more defined than previously like with the matrix films it's always been about 
the end of humanity, you know, and yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing. With this one, it feels more like I say defined. It's more focused to just on a character level. What's at stake here are the characters. Yeah, it's got less of a thing about the fate of humanity rests on the actions of one man. You know yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. It's more like these actions are going to affect yours and Trinity's future. It does come to affect a lot more than that, but it's mainly about them as characters, and it feels a lot more focused on that level. I think that's why it feels more personal. I actually find, like, like I say, the more I watched it, watching it this particular time and seeing those two characters interact with each other, it just felt a lot more emotional. Yeah, I think that's why the last act worked for me more than say the last acts of revolutions. <laughs> yeah, just because. With the attack on Zion and the, uh, the final Neo Smith confrontation in that, I feel very overextended. Yeah. And at times very impersonal, whereas I didn't have that problem with this film because mm-hmm. it was very much focused on one thing, which was definitely a, a plus for me. How did you feel about the music as well? To be perfectly honest, I didn't really notice a huge difference between... I mean, I'll probably have to watch it again because yeah. there's only a film I've watched once, so I wasn't really hugely concentrating on the music. But it didn't seem like it was a jarring no, departure, no. even though it was a completely different team. Yeah, it has got like a lot more... Uh, sorry, it has got the same... Um, like those kind of rolling brass sounds yeah. that The, the yeah. Matrix has. But um, it did feel a lot more Philip Glass, Koyanis Katsi as well at yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, like there's a lot of like cyclical, uh, cyclic. Oh god, I can't even say well, it. Well, it's talking about the cycles. Yeah, cycles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's there's, um, there's a lot more of that, and it. it feels like apt really for the film that they're yeah. making. Intentional. Well, what was it? Tom Twyker and Johnny Klimek. Yeah, I love Johnny Klimek. Anyway, his score with uh, what's it called? Reinhold. Those German films. His one-hour photo <laughs> score yes. is fantastic. Like the end credits cue for that film is one of my favorite pieces of music of all time. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, it's absolutely so, wonderful. Yeah, good pedigree to replace Don Davis. Yeah, uh, but unusually because they'd um, obviously they had a long-standing relationship with the Wachowskis. Yeah, they were in a position to actually write a version of the score before they even started shooting. Oh right! So you actually so that did inform how certain scenes were edited together and the feel of things. So, yeah. So that was a nice thing I think to to do. Um, yeah, and it does feel like Lana is uh, bringing together like the old like it's not the old crew from the Matrix, but like a crew that she's assembled over the years of fellow yeah. filmmakers. I mean, having Tom Twyker as well, a, fi- a filmmaker in his own right, a yeah. director in his own right, come on board to do the music side and just yeah. purely focus on that. And having like um, David Mitchell from Cloud Atlas, yeah, who wrote the book for Cloud Atlas. He, he wrote parts of Sensei as well. Yeah, Sensei. Um, yeah, but there's even cast members from you know, like you've got Freema Adjiman there, yes, who was yeah. in Sensei, and Christina Ricci as well from, from Do you Speed mean Racer. Lady not appearing in this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is she in this film? She's in it for like one scene. It's a great scene. Yeah, she's, she's fun. It's like a, it's a fun cameo, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I feel like it's um. It's one of those things that slipped out before the film came out, whether they didn't originally intend. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it came out of the uh, the test screenings that they did because this film tested extensively. I don't think much changed about it at all. It's weird. But it, they tested it extensively, and in the end, they just went with whatever Lana had. I wouldn't even know how you'd even go about testing this film. Yeah, it actually, um, the reviews that came out of the testing side of things were mixed positive. Yeah. Consistently. 
which was actually quite shocking that when I saw the final film, I was like, wow, they've really taken a swing at this, you know? Yeah. What's strange, though, about this film is that it feels like a coda. It doesn't feel like a an installation of the Matrix franchise. Yeah, it yeah. It feels like an, an epilogue yeah. in a way. As some people said that they felt like it, it it looks like it's meant to kick off a new trilogy, but I, I don't feel like it is. I feel like it's, like you say, it's slamming the book closed. Yeah. It's the Godfather 3. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> the Matrix Part 4, the death of Thomas Anderson. <laughs> they need Francis Ford Coppola to recut it. Yeah. <laughs> like, he seems to do a, one, one a movie a year now at the moment. Well, yeah. Probably not now because he's embroiled in that, uh, that Me- film. Megalopolis. Oh, my God. Yeah, that, Mega that, that's going to be... Uh, well, it's going to be a film, maybe. Well, we were talking about it just before, weren't we? I was like, yeah, it's either going to be a film that's so ridiculously long that no one was going to go out and see it, or it's either going to be chopped to ribbons <laughs> by the studio whenever that gets distributed, or it's going to end up as like some miniseries on some streaming service. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that's going to be... That's definitely a, a film to watch. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's already proving rather fruity the thing is is france i mean when you look at the kind of like emotional and physical toll that it's yeah uh, you know it cost on francis ford coppola making apocalypse now yeah is he in any good shape really to, no. to withstand this i know he lost a lot of weight he, he purposely said he, he got into yeah. some shape and lost a lot of weight to make this film but the guy's in like his his 80s yeah the story is definitely ongoing for that one yeah it'll I'm, be uh I feel like it's going to be one for the history books. I I agree. I, I'm, yeah. I'm in one way or another. <laughs> very much looking forward to it. Oh, one thing is, well, how how did you feel about um, the was it the Merovingians' appearance in this film? <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of extremely meta dialogue. Um, I think that like the action scene is secondary to everything he's saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, the action. I'm like, nah, I don't care. <laughs> Give him more screen time. Give him more to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I loved it. I loved it. He's even saying stuff about sequ- legacy sequel trash and all this kind of stuff. Sequel reboot rehash. And yeah, I love that he's wearing all of these different coats that have just like been shredded down. So it's like I th- feel like though that he wasn't ever actually on the set. They just had a stand-in because anytime you see him, in oh, full he was just character. there for an afternoon, yeah. and they <laughs> cut that in definitely, <laughs> definitely because um, uh, he's not in any of the shots outside of the ones that he's actually fo- like focused yeah. on but that's actually like such a fun inclusion i loved every every line that he had to to speak again though how did that page ever make it past warner brothers <laughs> I, I i applaud them i applaud them for having like the the, the the kind of balls to go ahead with this and to give lana free reign to make the movie that she wants to make because if you read this script you'll be going oh well there's no matrix films after this you know? <laughs> 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 oh, oh so this is it is it all right okay green light uh, you know i can't see any way that this would have ever gone forward it's like we're gonna get into the stats and facts in just a moment and they're almost so inconsequential because it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter this this was always going to be the fucking end <laughs> yeah 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 what did you think about the merv even, yeah even his name just, the merv it's just bizarre i kind of loved it but at the same time it's one of these it's one of those scenes again which would would really piss some people off 100 percent. like if you're not into that kind of thing then yeah you you wouldn't get much out of it to be honest you need to be on the same wavelength as the movie i think and, as and well. its placing is so bizarre yeah that it's kind of funny yeah it, it this is such a marmite film it really is <laughs> 
do you think that we will see any further Matrix films? And I don't say sequels, I mean Matrix films in general. Oh, God, I don't know. I think, in a way, I imagine that Lana's kind of happy with the... Uh, with the result of the yeah. box office of this film because it, it might not sh- completely close the door on any future Matrix projects, but it closes the book maybe in this format. Mm-hmm. Part of me thinks, would it be a while now or would it go to something like television or something yeah, like that? Yeah, maybe. May, I mean, at the moment, the uh, Warner Brothers are in uh, like a pretty terrible state with um, what's going on with David Zaslav. Yeah, um, and what's happening to HBO Max, which was probably the uh, best streaming service that was out there, really. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's been completely gutted, and um, bizarrely so as well. Yeah, like, yeah, they cancelled Westworld, which they cancelled Westworld, w- but they still have to pay everybody. Yeah, but the fact that they got rid of it off the service, which didn't make any sense, yeah. I don't understand why they did that. That's, there's some weird tax write-offs. Yeah, that, some they, weird, they, they, weird, weird stuff going on. They can't write them off. Apparently, if they are still available to watch, to be a tax write-off, they have to be unavailable. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's part of the issue that's going on. Um, so a, a lot of things are just being straight up deleted from existence. Which, again, this is why I'm a physical media collector. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This... And will remain so. Oh, totally, totally. I think if anything, the last couple of years have really kind of proved that you should really own it physically because some of these things can just get taken away from you yeah. straight away. Well, physical media is actually on the um, on the up again, weirdly, for the first time in a very long time. And I think it's because of the state that we're in where suddenly we have to own about like 80 quid's worth of streaming services per month, you know, to be able to, to watch this and that from everywhere. It's much easier now to just say, that's what I want to watch. I'm going to buy the DVD. <laughs> I'm yeah, buy the I mean, Blu-ray. also as well, I feel like... Um, People are actually starting to become a little bit disillusioned with the whole streaming thing. Like yeah. the, the last like six months, especially with all the issues with Disney Plus, all the issues with Netflix, uh, again HBO Max, and the weird stuff that's happening in terms of things that have been commissioned, things that have been cancelled. Yeah, like Netflix. I think I read something the other day about like what's the point in people starting. Yeah, new series if they know they're going to be yeah, that um, eighteen ninety nine. Yeah. yeah, like what was the point? I like, was going to watch that. I'm yeah, not, I'm not going to bother now. No, yeah, it's like why should we bother watching your series Netflix if you're not going to finish? Yeah, like the, you're giving us no impetus to even invest any time. In I it. won't watch anything new on no. Netflix because uh, it's like it's a folly. Yeah, it's such a folly. You'd never know what's uh, what's going forward, what isn't, and in, if anything, that's going to create a chain reaction where more and more shit gets cancelled but yeah. with netflix i mean things can be still being watched and be quite popular and still get cancelled because even though they are popular with a netflix core fan base they are not driving new subscriptions i think what's happened uh, and as well with as with especially with things like the disney plus losses and stuff that this model hasn't actually been that well thought out no yeah i mean we're seeing a back fallout yeah. already the bottom yeah. fallout yeah we're in a really interesting time uh, in cinema and that yeah having a film like this comment on on some of the things that are going on is kind of a, an interesting thing but again it's one of those things where which people either think oh is that an old thing but i think it goes so far out of its way to to do that that it becomes much more than uh, just a meta thing yeah yeah absolutely um, and yeah if we go now to the stats and facts i think there's definitely uh a real close bookedness about the whole thing, <laughs> yes, and something that I think Lana would probably be quite happy with the with the end result. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I will start with the um, 
Do you want to do it old school where I'll do the critics? And oh, yeah. Do we'll the do that. Thingy? All right, yeah. Seeing as we're in person, this, <laughs> this is like whole meta as well. The fact that we're doing this in person, which we haven't done for like the longest a time. A long time. Oh, my God, you're touching me. Yeah. <laughs> Touched his knee then. It's very physical and tactile. I like it. Mm -hmm. None of this virtual shit. <laughs> So, in terms of the critical reaction to the film, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 63% uh, average rate. So, as a 63% um, tomato meter rating. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'll stop touching your leg now. I'm just, I'm just so flustered. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, in terms of the critical reception, it has a 63% tomato meter reading, and that is after 357 reviews. So, quite a lot. The average rating from the critics is 6.2 out of 10, and it has um, a critical consensus of, if it lacks the original's bracingly original craft, The Matrix Resurrections revisits the world of the franchise with wit, a timely perspective, and heart. That's a mouthful with the first part. <laughs> they should have uh, used another word other than uh, original. Original, yeah. <laughs> original, original. <laughs> and in terms of the audience score, it's a very similar story. It has a 63% popcorn rating <laughs> and a 3.6 out of 10 average rating which is slightly higher than i thought it would be now here we go i'll just move over to the review that i have here from empire magazine again i did ask roger ebert to contribute but he just doesn't respond to my calls <laughs> um, <laughs> i don't know what's going on there but he, he stopped a few years ago and he hasn't got back in touch so he wouldn't be responding anyway <laughs> Bless him. I'm using a Ouija board. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, but even before he died, he wouldn't be responding. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> so, in terms of the uh, review from Empire, they, um, it's from Alex Godfrey, and he says, when asked a few months ago why she wasn't involved, Lily Wachowski said that she just wasn't of a mind to do a retread, to do something she had done before. Lana felt the opposite. Their parents haven't just died. She found solace in bringing back to life the other couple, Neo and Trinity, that meant so much to her. Nothing comforts anxiety like a little nostalgia, says the new Morpheus in Resurrections. And it is cheering seeing Reeves and Moss back at it again. It's romantic and sentimental and sometimes touching, but it also feels somewhat superficial and nothing in the film feels like it's of huge consequence um, as there's little to hang, hang the film on. Um, sorry, there's little to hang on to, which I, I mean, I disagree with that, but it to each his own, um, with that particular part. But I do think that gets down to kind of like the core of it as well. And that was a three out of five rating. It's, from it's a much smaller stakes film, and I think in the, today's landscape where everything's about world ending, yeah, things, it really sort of sticks out <laughs> because it's not. There's no fucking blue light in the sky. There's no fucking. Earth being destroyed by huge, you know, it's like he says, there's little consequences, and that to me, like we, we, I've used this phrase before, but that floor is a feature to me. Like I, I like that the consequences are personal. It's the fact that will she choose to stay? Can they get her out? Yeah. Um, will this upset whatever piece they've got? Yes. Yeah. In the in the the general sense, so there are there are stakes there. Yeah, it changes. It's just it, not as black and white. Yeah, as, it changes the world. It, yeah, it, it refigures the world that they're in. Yeah, it's just not quite as uh, straightforward as, as yeah. the the previous films in that regard. And yeah, and just finally as well on IMDb, the film has a five point seven out of ten um, rating, which again, 
I can't I can't really complain about it. It's it is a Marmite film. I think you're gonna love it or you're gonna hate it. You know, it's that's just the way it is with this. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, moving over to the box office, and he's gonna go through a few of the figures that we have. For the, the box office results, the budget for this film was 190 million, which is significant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, although just for inflation, it's actually probably on the it's probably mid budget film. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, I think this released, like you say, the same month as Spider Man No Way Home, and that's yeah. like a 300 million dollar yeah. budget film, something silly like that. Yeah, right. So on its opening weekend, it made 10 million 749,000. And it was uh, number three at the yeah. box office behind uh, Spider-Man No Way Home at number one. Sing 2 <laughs> at number two. And then, uh, yeah, what followed behind was uh, it's a very odd uh, bunch of films, which it would be because it's pandemic, of, yeah, sort of towards the end of pandemic-ish area. So you've got uh, The King's Man at number four. Amer- that, I, I got to mention about The King's Man. That has probably the best, worst and um what's it called uh, like after credits teaser that i've ever seen oh really yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know like at the end of like avengers you get um like nick fury saying yeah uh, or at the end of iron man it's like i'm assembling a team in this one would it be in base you're in world war one yeah like the bad guy meeting up with somebody else and it's like i've assembled it's like I- i'm moving on to the next the next bad guy i can use at my disposal enter Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! And I'm like, yeah, that's that's pretty fucking terrible, guys. <laughs> oh wow! I look actually that that's something we haven't talked about is the post credit scene of oh, this film. Yeah. <laughs> because again, this is all like I I still have to th- think that this is all intentional. It, because hundred percent. That post credit scene is like it's about cat videos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like because we, we've talked at length about uh, audience expectations for post pre, post credit sequences yeah. these days, and that just like it's perfect. If, if there's a, a post credit scene that's going to piss off that it's kind, the of biggest kind of audience, yeah. fingers up, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, going back to the uh, the box office. So at number five, we had American Underdog. Number six, West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's version. Number seven, A Journal for Jordan. I have no idea. Nope. Nice alliteration there. <laughs> um, number eight, Licorice Pizza. Uh, mm. Number nine, Encanto. And number ten, 83? No, no that, I don't, don't know. Not particularly not, yeah. not 83. So overall, domestically, it makes 37.6 million. Internationally, 119.6 million. So that makes our overall worldwide gross of 157.2 million dollars <laughs> yeah. based on a 90 million dollar budget plus whatever marketing they had so this film would have lost the studio a fair amount of change and we and we are talking about time as well like there were um a few films that came out during this period that were, like say all of the warner brothers films were going on hbo max day and date with the exception of june i think opened a couple of days later Whereas films like Wonder Woman 2 failed and The Matrix failed, you have to look at like films like June that went on to make $400 million worldwide yeah. with this model. Yeah. So it's like, there is scope to make some money, but it, it was never going to make the big bucks, but I don't think it was ever destined to anyway. No, no, because it's, again, legacy sequel. Yeah, I don't. it depends what the um, 
word of mouth was. And also, I don't know what the actual streaming numbers were going to be like for it because they just don't really release them. No. So... No, they 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 have this very weird metric of hours watched. I don't really understand the streaming model at all. Uh, to be honest, I don't think the streaming people understand no. the model either because, again, it's starting to bite them on the ass. So in terms of how much you get versus subscribers, money versus how much you invest in something, I don't... But that uh, doesn't seem to equate to anything. Well, the streaming model is really based on new subscribers. So if you're already an existing subscriber and you watch something, they're like, yay, but we don't care. And that's why we're getting so many things that are cancelled that have an existing fan base. Yeah. Like, because they're not driving brand new subscribers. But when you've got practically the whole yeah. fucking... Or, like, with Netflix, I think, that's, I think, that's part I, of the issue. I think the streaming companies forgot that, like, if you're measuring it on that, new subscribers is going to hit a critical mass at some point. Yeah, you're going to hit a ceiling. Yeah. So you've got to find something else to, to bolster. You, you can't rely on that. Uh, and they've they've found that out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And they're running around panicking at the moment. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The whole thing at Disney at the moment is just uh, a mess because yeah. of their Disney Plus and them relying so much on it. Yeah, I think we're going to see a shift away from Disney Plus in terms of like I would say specifically on a cinematic level because it's it's completely devalued. Yeah, the cinematic it de- experience, it's devalued yeah. their studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, we're living in interesting times, as usual. Uh, <laughs> One for the history books. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think Lana would be quite happy with that. Because it's like, yeah, Warner Brothers, you want to do a Matrix film? Here's your Matrix film. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <I'm> fuck you. <laughs> sort of thing, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I've been paid. I'm not losing any money. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I am very interested to see what she's going to do next, and more importantly, who it's going to be with, <laughs> because I, I doubt it will be Warner Bros. Yeah, no, definitely not. I do think that we will see The Matrix again with this current model of Warner Brothers in place, where they seem to just have value 100% only in like franchise, like no names. They're, like They've said that the things that they want to make on is Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, more Harry Potter shit coming our way. And, um, oh, what's the other big franchise that Warner Brothers has? Or DC. DC, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and DC. I do think The Matrix will probably fold back into that in some way, but I agree. I think it'll be a completely different form. It may be a TV show, a limited series. I reckon it'll be a new cast, new filmmakers. It'll be something completely different, and it may end up being the exact thing that this film (laughs) is a criticism of. Yeah, well, great future for Warner Brothers. Yeah, (laughs) ah, it's a great long-term model, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They can only see as far as next week. Yeah. Um, So, Andy, uh, just to wrap up, uh, would you recommend The Matrix Resurrection? Well, um, like I said, it's, it's hard. It's a hard film to recommend. It's one of those films that, if you're a particular way, it's kind of it's a, it's a film to admire yes, for its pure yeah. cheek. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, because it is completely yeah. undistilled. I think for me as well, it'll be interesting to see what the passage of time will do for this film because at the moment it's kind of very much been mauled and then kind of brushed under the rug quite yes. quickly. Yeah, it was, uh, and it'll be interesting to see what time does to uh, the, the reputation of this film yeah i, I agree because time has been kind to the sequels as well they've kind of grown as you say it may be people with rose tinted glasses i may be of the same but they they have grown a fan base of sorts um over the years since i wonder if this one will do the same or if it's um some people find it just a bit too impenetrable but 
regardless it will always i think remain a very interesting and worthy film in the series for me personally and it's one that's i found more rewarding the more times that i've watched it since as well like on a personal level i i love it but yeah i do recognize that if you're coming to this film for the action and if you're a matrix fan you 100 percent are doing as a casual watcher of those films you're gonna find it kind of lacking a bit lackluster yeah. in that regard yeah and i i couldn't i couldn't say to you as well if if you were that kind of fan that came to that this film for that level and weren't satisfied i wouldn't be able to say oh you're wrong you know yeah. it's because it, 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 it doesn't satisfy on that level it satisfies on different levels for me that speak to me but i completely yeah. understand why people wouldn't like it um and i, and I like you i wonder wh- what will time do for this film you know yeah, and also yeah, if you're invested in this world on a on a serious level, yeah, because it, it, it's very much got its tongue firmly placed, yes, in its cheek <laughs> all the way throughout. So it's very much the antithesis of the um, of Reloaded and Revolutions in that way, mm-hmm. which were very kind of self serious. Yes, yeah, in, it was, in yeah. a lot of ways, in in ways that the original film wasn't, because it's it's I feel it's more got it's got more in common with the first film than than the than the second two films mm-hmm. in that way that there was a there's a bit more wit yeah. on display than the than two and three i do think like even there's a great line of about the legacy of these films and about like lana's reaction to it because neo is very much the lana wachowski uh, surrogate in this film and there's a moment when he's in the real world and he says that you know they turned my life into a video game and it, you know it meant nothing and we see, we see that there is a fan base. The bug says, um, "Oh, it meant everything." Uh, let me show you and introduce him to the fans of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. But it makes me think, like on uh, like some of the things that like this is some of the things that Lana's been grappling with over the years. The idea that this world that meant everything to her, especially in terms of like her trans identity stuff, like it's been hijacked by others. It's been trivialized. It became a right wing meme as well mm. uh, which is the complete opposite of what she stands for yeah red pill itself became is now like forever intrinsically linked to the men's right activist movement which is again complete right wing tough i get like on some level she's been struggling with the trivialization of this world that meant so much to her and who, what her identity was and it's on those levels that I think this film will mean more to people. Yeah. Um, and there's no other film, I think, that gives you that insight in terms of like a filmmaker's relationship to their own art. But yeah, that's where I stand on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's all we have on our latest episode of Popcorn Digest. But um, join us next time. And I will say, if this boat's rocking, don't come knocking as we <laughs> will be rocking out to the boat that rocks or pirate radio yeah as it's known in america and does it work as a film yes <laughs> <laughs> is it a film is it a series of moving images <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but yeah until then i've been agent green and i've been morpheus but yes but not 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 really yes no oh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i've pooed myself yes <laughs> 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 oh. I'm just imagining like those uh, those bots, but I'm just imagining digital poo popping and, going, and, and turning into code. On My Impact. God, it's kamikaze poo! <laughs> yeah, those bots just flinging shit yeah. everywhere. <laughs> digital shit. Oh dear. Anyway, but yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>